where we can celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. Thank you for reminding us to have joy this season, joy from being forgiven of our sins, and joy from having hope in Christ. We also pray for those who are hurting and mourning among us today, those who have lost loved ones, or those who have had to deal with hardships. We pray especially for Kim and her family as they mourn the passing of her father. May you continue to lift up her family during this time as they grieve. Thank you that they can continue to have hope in you. And amidst this busyness of the season, Lord, may you help us to focus on you. Thank you for this season of celebration as the Lord has come. Help us to continue to hear from your word through Pastor Sim. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll go ahead and dismiss. And make it anyway. Um, I believe he was in. Members were in good spirit. They were crying, they were laughing, sharing stories. I heard that um, one of the last things he did was to pray for his grandson, Jonathan. Uh, he had a difficult mock trial that he had to go through, and then he was preparing for the finals. So as he was going out, walking out, uh, grandfather said, Jonathan, could I pray for you? And he did. And the last thing that the family will remember is that he was holding a great-grandchild to protect her from getting hurt. What, what a beautiful legacy he's leaving behind. You know, he's, he loves God. He loves his family. And the family will remember that. And when I got the text from Kim yesterday, she said they were singing hymns and they were filled with joy. It's a great, wonderful testimony that I just wanted to share with you. When we have this assurance of salvation in the Lord, when we know for certain that God is with us, the joy never leaves us. Sure, they will grieve, but then they know that they will see him soon enough. And it's, it's that kind of joy that we are to celebrate during this season. And I hope you were able to share with your friends, with your loved ones as well. Let's bow our heads one more time. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for reminding us of this great joy we have in you. As Grace has prayed, we pray for Kim and her family as they wrestle with this sadness. Still, they're able to rejoice in you, and, and we rejoice with them. Though many of us don't know her father well, we know where he is, and we know we'll meet him as well. As they grieve, O oh Lord, may you extend your comfort. At the same time, the joy that you place in their hearts, as they share that joy with others, may this sadness turn into great joy and celebrate their father's salvation and the legacy he's leaving behind, the way he loved you, O Lord, and the way he loved his family. It's that joy we want to share today as well through your word. So give us willingness to listen. May you be glorified. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're still talking about Jonah. And I know it's Christmas season, but I believe we could still glean lots of Christmas theme, um, themes in, in this book. You guys know this fairy tale? Walt Disney Studios created this. And every time I see this, even though I have two sons, they watch this over and over and over. <laughs> and so I, I, I know the story. It's about Princess Aurora. She was cursed by Maleficent uh, and fell into deep sleep to sleep forever. So Prince Philip is the only one who could wake her up. And I, every time I watch this show, I'm like, where do they get this idea, this outlandish idea of someone falling asleep and then being awakened? Well, I'm going to argue that they found the story in the Bible first. Because in the Bible, we're going to discover that there are more than 80 times the Bible talks about a sleeping beauty. So let me go over that for a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, while Adam was asleep, God takes one of his ribs and creates a woman. Exodus chapter 28, Jacob falls asleep. He's running away from his brother and his father, and he spends a night in the outdoor. And in his dream, God appears and God sends angels. So he sees angels coming down and going up. And God promises him, I will protect you. So he names his place Bethel. First King 19, Elijah runs away. He runs for his life all the way to Bathsheba, and he goes further. And he's just exhausted because he's running and running and running. And under a juniper tree, God allows him to sleep and regain his strength. Acts chapter 12, Peter falls asleep in the jail between two, two uh, guards. When angel appeared, the angel had to kick him to wake him up. What kind of sleeping beauty? I do not know. Mark chapter 4, even Jesus was sleeping on a boat, and the disciples were afraid for their life, so they're shaking Jesus to wake him up so that he could save them. Psalm chapter 4 says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David realized sleep is blessing from God. Psalm 127 verse 2, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Even Solomon recognized this as well. So sleep is God's blessing. If you ever wrestle with sleeping, having a good sleep at night, you know how valuable this is. It is God's blessing. So we saw last week that Jonah is running away from God. God called him, and there is no ambiguity here. God clearly spoke to him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. 
and share my message. Jonah, this wasn't the first rodeo, as they say, because he encountered God before. He represented God before. He knew God. He knew God's love, grace, and mercy. But based on his knowledge about God, based on his presuppositions about Ninevites, how evil they are, Jonah made a hasty decision. He didn't choose wisely. He said, I'm not going to go to Nineveh because I know what God wants me to do and I know what God is capable of doing, but they're so evil. I'm going to run away. But even as he's running away, disobeying God, God gives him a beautiful sleep that he could rest in the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's dig into the scripture. So chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Did you catch something funny in this? passage, like verse 5, for example. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They're professional sailors. From Joppa to Tarshish, we're talking about maybe 2,500 miles, so it's a long journey. They are experienced sailors. But this storm was so severe that they, they thought they were going to die. So they're crying out to their gods to save them. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. You don't do this unless this is your last resort. It's either the cargo or my life. So they got to that point. So they started to throw away uh, cargo overboard. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So I'm going to use my imagination. But don't worry, I'm not creating a theology, so don't quote me on this. I'm just using my imagination. So Jonah, upon hearing the calling, he decided to, I'm going to go the opposite direction. It's northwest to Nineveh, about 500 miles or so, maybe a little less. But I'm going to go to the other direction, to Tarshish about 2,500 miles. I'm going to go away. Jonah knows that he cannot run away from God. 
He knows God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And he's all-knowing, all-powerful. Jonah knows this better than most. Yet, he's still running away. So he goes down to Joppa, the coast city of Mediterranean Sea, and he hops on this boat, ship. And of course, you know, so I'm using my imagination. Welcome aboard. Where are you going? Tarshish. My goodness, that's far away. Why are you going? You don't look like a businessman. I'm running away from God. <laughs> Been there, done that. Well, welcome aboard. Make yourself at home. So he goes there, you know, he's hanging around. It's a long trip. So he's gotten to know people, talking and sharing. But then it got to the point where, you know, this is not a vacation. I'm not having fun. I just want my private time. So he goes down below. He knows he cannot run away from God. But he's doing best he can. He knows it's inevitable that he will encounter God at some point. But he wants to prolong this as long as possible. Given the situation, that if I just close my eyes and sleep, maybe I could ignore him. So he's not just running away from God. He's doing his very best to ignore God. Let me pause here and ask all of us. When you see yourself today, I wonder if we're doing something like this. If not, fantastic. But this is a season where we rejoice in the Lord. Perhaps it's a good time for us to pause and and reflect. Am I running away from God? Am I trying to ignore God? Is God telling me something? Do I even have a desire to talk to God, to listen to him? Because God is talking to all of us, not just us, even the non-Christians. For non-Christians, it's about reformation, salvation. For us, it's all about transformation, holiness. But God is constantly talking to his people, whether they're believers or not, because they all belong to God. This is what God does. So if that's the case, don't you want to listen to God? If you have this desire, you better make up your mind today, I'm going to obey. Because it's a blessing to talk to God. It's a blessing to hear his voice. But if we don't obey, that blessing will turn into a discipline. God will use the same blessing to discipline us. It just gets prolonged. But God disciplines us in love because he wants to talk to us. He wants us to cultivate this relationship to represent him. I know everyone's busy. Maybe it's not your season to serve. But my question is, how do other churches do it? I don't know our situation very well. And I'm able to say this, ask this, because I don't know well enough to not say it. But how do other churches do it? How do they serve? When we ask for right season, when is the right season? And oh, by the way, do we know that when we are good and ready to serve, that yes, 
It's my season to serve. But God is willing to use you, use us. I think we have this misnomer that, hey, whenever I'm ready and willing to serve, God will use me. Not so. God uses us according to his timetable. So when God calls, it's up to us to respond. Sometimes we run away. I don't know about you. He's never done that. Sometimes we try to ignore God. He's never done that. Especially when God is trying to talk to me through my wife. That's very hard. Sometimes when he speaks through a stranger, that's difficult. Sometimes he speaks to someone that I don't like. That is almost impossible. But I know that's what he does. Sometimes through different circumstances, God speaks to us. Are we willing to listen? So here's Jonah, God's prophet. He's running away from God. He's trying to ignore God. He wants to sleep spiritually. So what does God do? God comes and he's going to use different ways to tell Jonah, Jonah, why are you sleeping? Get up. You got work to do. I want to use you to extend my grace to Ninevites. I know they're evil, but this is a great city. People are there. They're my people too. I want to use you to extend my grace. Get up. If we choose to ignore God, to run away from God, to sleep before God, this is what it's going to do. So we have to ask ourselves, am I running away? Am I trying to ignore? Or we need to look around and see, is he or is she running away, trying to ignore, falling asleep? This is our responsibility. This is our family. This is what we need to do, I believe, during this Christmas season. As we, re- as we rejoice in the Lord, we need to make sure we're running toward God, not away from God. If I could just take one step further, what about church? What is our identity? CCCI. Why do we exist here in this beautiful city of Carmel? What do we need to do to make ourselves presentable to God? What are, we, are we running away from God as a church or, or what, are we running toward God as a church? These are the questions we really have to ask. Worse yet, maybe not so much. But often, what I see is we choose to serve God. How much, when, and where. It usually works out like that because everyone's so busy. So we're going to carve out a little time to serve God here or not there. Over here, or maybe over here. We pick and choose. And I know this is harsh to swallow, but we have to ask, are we serving God according to God's will 
according to God's methodology or our way? Are we serving God to glorify His name or are we serving God to receive self-gratification? I know that's harsh, but it's only between you and God. And this is a good time for us to reflect on that. I know we all, we all love God. We all want to serve God. But as soon as we get to this path of, you know, I'm going to choose where and when and how to serve God. If we do that, we have to ask ourselves, are we surrendering to God so that God could have way with us? Or are we choosing and want to have control over our life because this is our life? I mean, this is a fine line, but it's something that we have to wrestle with. Going back to the text, this is what Jonah is going through. So he's under the deck. I mean, there's chaos. People are crying out to their gods because they think they're going to die. There's a commotion and and noise, and the, the boat is up and down, left and right. It's just, you know, everything is chaotic. And yet Jonah is able to sleep. God's grace. Even though he is disobeying God, God extends his grace. So God is about to wake him up. Verse 6 says, The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. It sounds like something a mature believer would say. This is something that Jonah should say to all the sailors. I know you guys believe in other gods, but listen to me. My God is the real one. He's the creator of heaven and earth and the sea. You need to cry out to my God. He will save us. Jonah is the one who should be saying this, not the sailors, not the captain. He said, cry out to your God because we, are, we have different gods. I'm going to cry out to my God. You cry out to your God. Let's see, you know, whose, whose God is greater, but then the end result is that we'll be saved. This must have speared Jonah's heart. Again, he knows God. He knows he cannot run away from God, and yet he's doing the very thing. He's wasting his time and energy. It's inevitable, but he's doing best he can to prolong this. He's not praying. Do you find that odd? Jonah's not praying. What does that mean? I would rather die than to go to Nineveh. I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. I know what you're trying to do. You're going to try to use me to extend your grace. I would rather die. That's what Jonah is saying. So God uses this unbeliever, the captain, to come down. Jonah, why are you sleeping? What are you doing? Get up. Pray. We read in the Old Testament, you know, this is what God does, right? His chosen people, they will disobey God. They go through this cycle. 
Disobedience leads to discipline. And when they finally recognize this and cry out to God, God will send a deliverer. God will spare them. And then they go back to this perpetual cycle. So what does God do? These are the nations that Israelites conquered along the way as they conquered their, the Holy Land. But when they disobey God, God brings their attention. The land that's flowing with milk and honey, famine. There's no food. That's how God will get their attention, and they will cry out to God. God will raise you know, the neighboring nations, Amalekites, Philistines, Ammonites, Edomites, later Assyrians and Babylonians. They will come and they will conquer them to get their attention. Only then they will cry out to God, and God will extend his grace. No one is exempt from this. That's the thing that we have to remember. No one is above all. No one is exempt from this type of training. Not Job. Remember, Job was the righteous one. So much so, Satan went to God and said, let me test this person. Oh, no, no, Job is righteous. Yeah, but if you take away all his blessings, you know, he's going to, he might just, you know, turn his back on you. No, no, no. And try. Job was righteous, but he was not perfect. He had a room to grow. So through, through the process, Job indeed grew in the Lord. What about Moses? What about Abraham? What about Jacob? What about Joseph, Peter, Paul? They were great followers of Jesus Christ. They believed in God, yet they had room to grow. So God allowed them to go through different situations, hardships even, so that they would turn to God and continue to grow, remain humble before God. Karl Jaspers, German-Swiss philosopher, he's something else too. I mean, just brilliant person, but he's known for his philosophy. He said something profound. Suffering gives man dignity and shows the way to God. He would use the word divinity. I, I switched it to God. Suffering gives man dignity and shows the way to God. Sometimes this is necessary. It's necessary for me. It might be for you. Do you guys like persimmons? It's in season, right? I didn't see persimmons, but I like persimmons a lot. Second, my second uh, favorite fruits uh, of all the fruits, uh, watermelon during the summer, and then persimmons. When I used in the Bay Area, I used to live in the Bay Area, there was an American church. And this church had a persimmon tree in the corner, like, no one cared about this tree, but I recognized that driving by, I put over, and during the season, I would, you know, get, get some persimmons. It's the, the soft ones. I, like, you could tell when they're ripe, you know, it just looks delicious and juicy, right? So you just get some. Because <laughs> they're not, they're, it's just there for them to look. They like to look at fruit trees. 
Well, I like to eat the food. <laughs> so I would just collect some, you know, every time I drive by. It's the outside that attracts me to the food. And I know how it tastes, so it attracts me to the food. But when I'm eating it, I'm not eating the skin. I mean, you could, I guess, but I'm not interested in the skin. I'm interested in the flesh of the food. See, sometimes this is our circumstances. God shows us the skin of the food. If we don't get beyond that, we're just going to look at the skin of the food. We never get to taste the flesh unless we look beyond the circumstances, beyond the words that we hear, recognizing that there's God behind this and there's a special purpose for God, for me. Unless we recognize this, we're just going to look at the food and go, oh, that was so good. And that's the problem with many Christians today. We think we know God because we heard it so often. And, you know, just reading the scripture too, we know how it is supposed to be, but we never tasted it. So we see the skin and, oh, yeah, it's supposed to taste sweet and juicy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, hey, persimmons, go have some. It's great. We need to eat. Then we know. Then we know how sweet our God is. Then we could share our Lord and Savior. That's the difference. So through this disobedience, God is going after Jonah. He's pursuing Jonah, not just to punish him. That's not the goal. What's for Jonah to taste God, to get to know God, so that later, when he goes to Nineveh, he could share God, the true God that he's able to taste. During this Christmas season, we want to share the joy, the blessings of knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came to us while we were yet sinners. We want to share that. But do you know God? Do you know what it tastes like? I know you know here. Are you going to share that? Or do you going to share what you experienced? The difference could be a lot. So God might be pursuing us even today so that we could experience him just a little bit more so that we could share about our Lord and Savior with others around us. God doesn't stop. He continues he pursues Jonah, and this is what verse 7 says. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Man, you talk about God's handiwork. Casting lots is common in the Bible, too. Apparently, it was common in their culture. Jonah got picked. And Jonah's response is now different. He pivots. Remember, he's disobeying God. He's running away, trying to ignore God, trying to sleep before God. But now, 
He pivots. Look at verses 9 and 10. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. He created all this, even the sea. God pursues him, and he knows he's caught. There's no way out. So he does the one thing that he could do. The only thing he could do is to just acknowledge. When God shines light on us, it's that second chance that we're looking for. We always want second chance, don't we? If you play golf, you know what I mean. We want that second chance, that mulligan. <laughs> in Christian life, in spiritual life, don't we want second chance as well? Man, I could do so much better if I could do it over. That's what God is saying. God shines light on us. Let me give you one more chance. So Jonah took that chance. Use that second chance to acknowledge, yes, I worship the Lord, the creator of all things. And it's funny, when this happens, when we allow God to shine his light on us and when we respond the right way, it always happens. Self-recognition and repentance. Always happens. That's why when you study revivals of any kind, two things happen self recognition and repentance. That's what starts revival. That's what starts any kind of spiritual movement. It starts with me, it starts with you, it starts with God's people that He has called to serve Him. When we understand that self recognition, I am child of God, I represent God. This is the purpose that God has called me. When you have that recognition and when you repent, that's when God says, okay, now you're ready. Our identity is in the Lord. Isaiah, he said, oh, to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah said, oh no, this is my end. I'm unholy. I'm part of these sinners and I'm one of them. You're holy. My goodness, this is where I end? This is how I'm going to go? That's what Isaiah is saying. God said, turn and be healed. When you have self-recognition, when you repent, God will restore you so you could work for him, for his kingdom, for his people. Peter, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He didn't recognize that it, was, it is Jesus, the Lord and Savior, who is on his boat preaching all day, and he didn't recognize him. Finally, when he did, he said, go away. I'm not worthy. Jesus said, from now on, you'll become the fishers of men. Self-recognition and repentance. That's how God restores us. And only then, God will use us to transform others. 
It starts with me. It starts with you. When we get up from our sleep, then our families will get up. When our families get up, then our church will get up. Then it goes to Carmel, Indianapolis, our nation, and to the ends of the earth. It just works out like that. I challenge you, I challenge myself that we will wake up wherever you are because you still have a little room to grow. If that's the case, get up. Father, thank you so much for giving us this wonderful privilege of coming and, and being part of your worship. We honor you. We glorify your name. We thank you for your patience, oh Lord. Thank you for calling us to serve you. It is indeed a privilege, a blessing. Help us to respond properly so that our blessing will not turn into any curse, any discipline. But you will use that to bless others around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, hi, everyone.